This episode is brought to you by Levitt Pavilion. This summer, check out one of my favorite outdoor concert venues in Denver, Levitt Pavilion. May through October, Levitt is offering ticketed and totally free all-ages concerts. I feel like we just go to anything that's free because it's like the kids can be at the show and it's people aren't weird about it and you can like bring a picnic. It's awesome. Some of the free shows this season include Iskali, Melvin Seals, War and Treaty, Sunny War, Chali Tuna, and more. To RSVP for free shows and buy tickets, plus see the full concert schedule, go to levittdenver.org. That's levittdenver.org. Today on CityCast Denver, regulators hit Suncor with a historic fine this week. Could it be the beginning of the end for the ancient and increasingly dysfunctional Commerce City refinery? We're talking about the politics of pollution with a guest who knows that world inside and out. Plus, we've got new details about the South by Southwest style outdoors fest premiering in Denver this June and our Rocky Mountain highs and lows of the week. Today is Friday, February 9th. I'm Paul Caroli, and here's what Denver's talking about. Welcome back to CityCast Denver, the city that can't get enough of those new black and white license plates. Oh my gosh, someone, my friend was just ragging on these on Instagram last night and I was like... Really? Another hater? And I was like, I also was ragging on those until friend of the show, Thad, told me that the uh, profits from those go to a disability organization. So shame on me for calling all of you basic who have one of those black license plates. Have you you seen the fossil ones? No. They got a sweet... That's dinosaur, a stegosaurus in the middle, and it's protect fossils. Oh, it's the stegosaurus. We talked, the stegosaurus. We talked to that wonderful yeah. expert at Dinosaur Ridge about that. It's cool. Purple and orange. We're getting one. I, we're you getting think one. purple and orange is the next thing? I mean, who doesn't want a cute stegosaurus? It's like the state dinosaur fossil. I mean, come on. Do we have I, a Nuggets championship one yet? <laughs> That's what I want. You got to get a full wrap for your car for that. Hell Yeah. Do yeah. they, does anybody want to wrap a 2003 Honda CRV? Call me. <laughs> Pimp My Ride does. Call Pimp Exhibit. Oh, Call Exhibit. Oh. He would definitely do a CRX. I actually wanted to do Pimp My Ride because in high school I had a 1970 Volkswagen bus. And oh, who didn't want to? That was the needed a lot of help. Show. Yeah, it was a great show. Although those cars were not meant to be driven no. anywhere after if they no. were not being filmed anymore, for sure. Um. Well, I personally love the black and white plates. I um, think they're very slick. Can um, I just like make my argument yeah. really quick about why Please, I don't do, like I them? I wanted to get into it. My, yeah, I'm kind of sad Thad, you know, scooped me on this. <laughs> but we were going to get – Thad yeah, got go one with, for his Canyonero. He got a Sequoia yeah. and I got yeah. his Canyonero. Um, no, I, my struggle is we love to be from Colorado. We love it. We're so proud to be from here. We love this place, yeah. green and white. We love our license plate until you get an opportunity to look like everyone else and everybody is just running to get the most – basic license plate they can possibly get that says nothing about Colorado on it. You don't think it says anything about Colorado? No. I mean, it says like, we just want to look like everyone else. Here's, Such a plain here's my argument plate. for it. Okay, go for it. Pure utility. What is a license plate for? It's for visibility on the road. And what could be more useful than a stark black and white contrast? Narcs everywhere are with you, Paul. Well, narcs, narcs assemble. My army of narcs and I are going to take over the roads. Ian, what do you think about the black license plate? 
I don't really care. You don't think about it. I, don't, I, I like. Yeah, it's not high. It's not highest on my list. Like I said, I like the fossil one. I know that there's a move right now to petition for one for historic places. I think it's cool <gasps> yeah. that people get to have some sort of like individualism within this like massive scheme of registering your car in the first place. So you know, if you want to have a black and white one, good for you. You want to have, uh, you know, any of these other ones, like, good for you. Uh, Pioneer plates, if your family's been here for a long time. You don't you have, have to. choice. You can you, have choices. Paul can go get one of those. <laughs> I don't have to prove my family You do not. My family I have learned this. I, oh, that a, used to be that way. I know, because we had a friend who's, like, fifth generation. <laughs> Sean. Hey, Sean. And uh, our other friend, Evan, I think, just despite him, was like, hey, look. <laughs> I got one. I didn't have to be here for that long. That's my so. kind of move. That's such a troll move. I love that. <laughs> um, anyway, the one fact about the black and white plates, when we move on, they've sold 170,000 of they're these things. So they're raising popular. tons of money for these organizations that support people with disabilities. Which is cool. In the end, that's what I love about them. Do I wish they said like Gang of 19 or something more radical about disability rights? Yes. But to sell something, you got to make it as palatable as possible for the most amount of people. And that black license plate did it. So yeah, good they, job. They hit something. They struck a nerve. Good job. Clearly. We're already, we're getting into something here, but we should introduce the show. Bree is here. You've heard her voice. Hey, Bree. Hi, Paul. Um, we're here at the 5280 Magazine Studios. It's Friday. We're rounding up the news. We have a fantastic guest today who you've also heard. Um, he's the Colorado State Director for Green Latinos. Um, he's been on the show a bunch of times, yeah. actually, talking about his environmental work and most recently, I think, to, to talk about his run for mayor. Welcome back to the show, Ian Thomas DeFoya. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks for coming back. Yeah, environmentalism. We talked about historic places with the La Alma Lincoln Park Historic District. Oh, man. So man proud of, of that things. one. So, so proud of that one. First Chicano Heritage District in the country. Thank you. I'm so proud. Thank you for doing that work. That neighborhood is so special. And it was that was such a fun conversation. So thanks for coming back. Let's just get right into our top story here. Um, we were excited to have you on to talk about this, Ian, because this week um, our top story is uh, environmental regulators hit Suncor, the refinery complex uh, in Commerce City that produces gasoline, jet fuel, and asphalt with a penalty of $10.5 million for, according to the Denver Post, spewing excessive amounts of toxic chemicals into the air over three years. Ian, um, local press is calling this settlement historic. How would you characterize it? It is historic in its size. It outpaces the one that we had just a few years ago. I will say it's historic in the sense that the Environmental Protection Agency, local governments, the Colorado Department of Public Health and Environment are collaborating more than they were in the past. I think there's a lot to like about holding people accountable, but the devil is in the details as always. And I think in this case, $10 million feels like a drop in the bucket to the billions that they gain every single quarter. The fact that they've been non-compliant for decades, you know, so slapping them on the wrist here. We do need that money to come back to our communities. I think because of the work we've done around environmental justice in the past, those fines would just go straight into the general fund. This time, actually, there is a formula. I believe it's a 60% this time that of those dollars are going to go back into a fund that the Environmental Justice Advisory Board, which was created by the Environmental Justice Act, will distribute to programs across the, the state of Colorado, which is awesome. But will that money be targeted directly back to the impacted community around Suncor? Remains to be seen. We saw a settlement again just a, a few weeks ago uh, that had to do with reformulated gas and them getting caught cheating on their formula and gas. And what did that result in? People being able to buy lawnmowers across the metro area. Again, impacted communities who live right on the fence line of Suncor say it's not enough. And I agree with them. I'm with you 100%. I felt... 
thank you for that context too of like where the money would go because I think that's something else we don't always know is like cool a settlement happens but where does it go who is it who gets access to it and I, I'm with you in that I don't under I don't know if I see this doing much because 10 million dollars like you said for a multi-billion dollar corporation that's such a tiny teeny amount of the money that they make it's it's 10 million dollars still I mean it's not nothing. I mean, if you're if you're the executive in charge of this department at Suncor and you're looking at your budget for the year and you just had a ten million dollar hit, like you're not your boss isn't going to be happy. You're not going to get that promotion. You know that's a real thing for well, people. Well, there's been a lot of leadership change actually across uh, Suncor, and we really? work and collaborate with entities, environmental justice entities. Recently, I talked with Greenpeace Canada, who've been tracking Suncor, the impact they've had on uh, the tar sands and the extraction that's taking place there. It, it is a Calgary-based company. So yes. That's, yeah, yes. Calgary-based, Alberta, in Canada. We are connected by a pipeline. They're trying to expand that pipeline. We are trying to cooperate with entities across uh, the boundary, right? This transnational boundary, which I think is really important. But they've had a change in their leadership. Our new CEO says, we've had enough of our greenwashing. we got to get back to the basics, which is exporting, um, these tar sands, and they have a terrible track record uh, for safety here in Colorado and also in Canada. And I think that it's our job to like continue to raise that. And I will also say of that $10 million, uh, about eight of it, they get to actually just invest back into their company. So hmm. if you look in the details, like I was saying, about $2 million of that money is going to go into the funds that we were talking about. The other $8 million is a, a commitment by Suncor to upgrade their electrical equipment, which has been causing several of these incidents. It's the root cause of it. But they get to invest back into their business. Who knows if they get to take that on the long run as investments into their business from a tax angle. And so you look at that $2 million and you say, is that enough? And will this two, will this upgrades of electricity actually stop them? Because, you know, they, again, and we mentioned this before, you have air permits, you have multiple multiple air permits, you have water permits, they have a legacy of toxic water underground. And so we're trying to talk more holistically about Suncor and their violations. I'm happy to say that we're partnering with the Colorado Public Health and Environment on uh, March 16th, which is a Saturday from 12 to 4. We're going to have everybody talking about it all at the same time. It is an event where if it's your first time learning about Suncor, you're going to be like, well, I learned so much. If you've been tracking it for 10 years like me, I hmm. still think you're going to learn. Hmm. So you, you, like you said, you've been tracking this for 10 years. Here, here's the question I, I really was excited to ask you because I feel like there's been a lot of uh, – talk about Suncor, a lot of energy around Suncor and regulations and change potentially. Um, but every time we talk about it, it's always the same story. Like it's a hundred year old plant. It's falling apart. What do we do about it? Um, do you feel like there's something really new happening right now? Some new energy that's going to lead to something? Well, I think the, the, the thing that we need to grapple with that we're not talking about is that the size of Suncor and its output is directly tied to our desire to be one of the largest airports in the world. And as long as we continue to talk about that level of expansion, that fuel is going to have to be produced somewhere, whether it is in North Denver or in another community who's being impacted by a refinery. And so we, we don't often talk about that connection, but I think the city and county of Denver and people who live here like need to talk about that. We do have solutions on the other side, mass transit, electrification of vehicles. Uh, these are things that will help us become less dependent. There are cool things going on around asphalt recycling. Um, waste No More, which I've been on here to talk about, talks about construction waste. We do need to think oh, about circular economies and like how we replace that. But 
right across the street from Suncor is a place called Trimble Asphalt. They've been caught up in troubles. I think the thing about Suncor is that it gets all this attention, but we've done the work for 10 years to bring it into the eye. But research with Green Latinos, you can go greenlatinos.org forward slash Colorado. Our North Denver report found 189 businesses violating federal environmental law. So what does that say? It says that Suncor is just one bad actor who's taking the heat for everybody else. And so we have to expand this conversation to talk about the Phillips 66 terminal or the Cherokee gas plant owned by Excel Energy and on and on and on there. Again, we named them by their names. You can see them in our report. And so we are working to add resources to this legislative cycle with the governor's office and the EJ task force that I sat on. Our recommendations call for more enforcement stronger penalties. Um, And honestly, we've been talking with the attorney general's office for years. We need them and the Department of Justice to start holding people accountable criminally. I'm, I, I like the connection you drew, though, Ian, too. Uh, if Suncor is not here, it happens somewhere else. And I'm thinking about that, the post from uh, Representative Alex Valdez on Twitter that said Suncor needs to go. Fuel refining can't coexist with neighborhoods. And again, it's a great idea in theory. Sure, just close the plant. But where does it go? Like you said, then it just ends up in another impacted community. So I, I, I mean, like conceivably pushing you people could, to think about beyond just stopping this right now. What is the future of the full picture of it? Conceivably, you could put it in a, you could build a new state of the art refinery if you wanted to that wasn't near people's homes. But long term, what have we seen? We put an airport in the middle of nowhere. Right. And eventually, because of growth and housing, it has surrounded them. Um Just last week, I released research that I've been doing with the University of Denver and University of Colorado for years trying to make this connection between zoning, land use, housing, and safety. This is happening right now at the Capitol where they're talking about, we just need more density next to public transportation. Well, right up there, just north of this refinery, is a train stop that's across from a cement factory. Is that where we should put more people? Or if you go down the W line just past Garrison, um, or just past Kipling, excuse me, there's a facility that's putting out ethylene oxide, the second most toxic chemical in the country regulated by the EPA. And it was so bad that Trump's EPA stepped in. But yet it's across from a playground and a bus stop or a train stop. Yeah, so it's Lakewood. Yeah. So we have to be, th- we're not, we haven't thought about this in the past where we have intersected housing, health, and zoning. Speaking of uh, businesses in the area, I was driving on 270 the other day and I had to, I was, I've been di- waiting to ask you about this, Bree. There's a, uh, and Ian, maybe you know this place too, but there is a steakhouse or an old steakhouse with a very cool, like, 70s style. It looks like a neon sign. Dino's? It, uh, is it Dino's? Is this a place? Because it mm-hmm. just, like, had such an iconic-looking sign to me, and I had never heard anyone talk about this. I regret not taking a photo of it. I it's know, right where like, 270 merges with 70. Do you all know this steakhouse? By Picos? I'm trying to Perhaps. think. I don't know the neighborhood that well. I know. I is it a yellow I... sign? It was like blue and red. Was it striped? No. Okay. I got to take a picture. You got to know. I I was like, well, now I know. Now I have to know. We'll talk about this again on a future episode. (laughs) Now I have to know. Uh, um, But Ian, here's uh, here's the next thing we should talk about. This. uh, So Bree brought up uh, Alex Valdez, the state representative who represents this area. Um, What do you think are the prospects for change politically? Well, this Air Toxics Act and the Fence Line Monitoring Act that were also a part of the settlement, right? setting up these complex machines that use lasers to tell us when pollution is coming off. That was also part of this this settlement that was released by the the government. Alex Aldez helped us with that. And I can remember years ago, we had nobody who would carry anything. So what did we do? 
We went in and knocked doors and we elected leaders from our communities. Alex Valdez, um, Serena Gonzalez Gutierrez, Julie Gonzalez, right? We began to develop leaders in ourselves who were going to go fight that good fight for us. And would they have? I think what's interesting now is we have to talk about what is the next group of people um, who are going to carry that mantle. Um, Alex Valdez nearing the end of his term, certainly. Um, I'm grateful to work with him and partner with him over the years. I hope that we can be as bold as possible going forward. We've done a lot, uh, both nationally, locally, and in the state to produce resources that are going to help get us off of fossil fuels. So I am hopeful that in my lifetime, we will see these facilities close. But the real conversation begins when we start to say, can we begin planning now for full remediation for a true just transition? We've been able to do it with coal. The Environmental Justice Task Force has recommended that that also include oil and gas workers. I think the industry and the unions agree with us. And so I think over the coming years, you're going to see more and more investment being put into how do we move away uh, from these facilities. And who knows, there'll be a new governor um, soon. Um, what angle they will take on this matters. What angle a new presidency will take will matter to us. But as long as we continue to use the tools that are available to us with our lawyers under the Clean Air Act, the Clean Water Act, these civil rights that we have, I do believe we will still have protection. And it really just matters about whether we have leadership to help us. The Environmental Protection Agency, under the leadership of Casey Becker, has sent back two Title V permits agreeing with Green Latinos. That's a first. So I would say that the headwinds are pointing in the right direction for all of us. Well, that's positive. That's good to hear. Um, I think that's a great place to end the segment here. Um, but we're going to take a quick break and we'll be back to talk about a cool new festival happening this summer. This episode is brought to you by the Colorado Wine Board. Because the wine community here is like surprisingly robust. I mean, think about Bigsby's Folly and Infinite Monkey Theorem here in Denver alone. And there are urban wineries all across the Front Range. Then there's the Western Slope, Peonia, I mean, Palisade, hello, Palisade Wine, are you kidding me? It didn't used to really be a thing, but from what I hear, it's very much a thing now. There are more than 165 wineries across Colorado to explore, and they produce all sorts of wine that reflect our unique culture and climate. So finding a label that you're going to love is easy, no matter where your adventure takes you. Discover it for yourself and support local winemakers at coloradowine.com. That's coloradowine.com. This episode is brought to you by the Denver Botanic Gardens. It's time for the 75th annual spring plant sale at the Denver Botanic Gardens. Mark your calendars for Friday and Saturday, May 10th and 11th. Admission is free, but you must register in advance at botanicgardens.org. Registering my husband, Greg, right now for the plants I want him to pick out and plant in our yard for me. <laughs> Shop from 15 different plant divisions, including annuals, houseplants, herbs and veggies, and specialties like aquatics, container garden in a bag, and plants grown right at the gardens. The garden's horticulture staff will be on site to answer any and all plant questions you may have. This sale emphasizes water smart and native plants that are perfect for our semi-arid climate. They'll be great for a beautiful landscape that doesn't require a bunch of water. For more details, registration information, and a catalog of available plants, go to botanicgardens.org. That's botanicgardens.org. All right, we're back. Don't call it a grand doozy. There's a brand new <laughs> festival coming to Denver this summer. 
The first ever outside festival will take over Civic Center Park for a weekend in early June with concerts, films, outdoor gear showcases, and probably a zillion of those tiny cliff bars. And uh, so this is an and initiative. And all their rappers. <laughs> and all their many rappers. Um, this is an initiative of um, the company behind Outside Magazine and the Colorado Outdoor Recreation Office. They cooked this up after the Outdoor Retailer Showcase um, left for Utah a couple years ago, year, year or two ago um, now. But seems like an exciting new thing. The governor was there. The mayor was there for this announcement. Um, Bree, are you, are you psyched? This is like a music festival, sort of. I'm always on the fence about music festivals. I, I don't, this one is interest. This one is interesting to me, I would say. For, okay, let's just talk about the music side of this, right? Live concerts, Fleet Foxes, Thundercat, Lettuce, Andrew Bird. Like, and the ticket price is 29 bucks for one day and 59 bucks for two days. I mean, I would pay 59 bucks just to see Thundercat. So this, from a Probably more. ticket. Yeah, I would, oh, I would for hit, sure. If he was playing so Mission Ballroom, a, you'd pay more. Yeah, so from a ticket price perspective, especially in the in the current climate we're in with how much people are paying for concert tickets, I like that part of this. That part's very enticing to me. Ian, how about you? Is this exciting to you? Is this Heck yeah. Fun? Yeah. yeah, who doesn't like a new festival? Even oh, if it crashes know. and burns, which I hope it doesn't, <laughs> I hope that this becomes something that is a – uh, beacon that calls people across the country to come here and to engage in our public lands. I think this provides a unique opportunity for us to talk about equity among other things as we're in the driver's seat of this festival. And I think that we will see corporations because at the end of the day, a lot of this is economic development, I think siding with Colorado. Uh, we know that the outdoor realtor retailers, I always get that one wrong, uh, left to go back to Utah, but some of the largest brands actually are still boycotting it. And so I think their participation here is going to make a big difference. At the end of the day, there's a lot of stark contrast between Utah and Colorado in the way in which we steward and lift wildlife, our equity concerns among others that played out with them leaving. I don't foresee that changing. And so I think Colorado is still going to be in a great position for bringing the best thought leaders around conservation here. And we have great, uh, you know, small businesses here in Colorado that can be a part of that. There's awesome topics to talk about, whether we're talking about Mount Blue Sky and the renaming of it or sweet gravel trails that our members and Green Latinos are building in Trinidad, Colorado. And so I think there's a lot to celebrate. I had to, had a chance to work on Grand Doozy with Superfly. So when I saw that that was there, that was pretty cool. Uh, David Moak uh, and I split up the community engagement for that festival and, you know, it turned out really well. It turned out really well. Is and that your I, memory of it? Because I don't know if everyone remembers it that I way. I thought it, it was a great The neighbors festival. ended up loving it. I ran yeah. the call really? center. The, the turf wasn't destroyed. I mean, it yeah. ended up not generating enough revenue. I think that was a big piece. Was, I think that was part of it. There weren't enough people there. It was a beaut. The grounds were beautiful. I went back yes. not long after because we lived close. You wouldn't even have known it was there. I think they did an excellent job. But I think, unfortunately, it did become a little bit of a struggle with the neighborhood. Not it, anticipating front, it being yes, bad. Yes, the front end was so challenging that uh, I picked up the day of operations part of it, and I answered the phones, and we talked about it afterwards. One of the things I want to say is really amazing about Superfly is uh, they were the first people to W2 me to work on a festival. Hmm. And I, to me, those kinds of choices make a difference. Hmm. Um, when people are going to be say like, I'm going to chip on on your taxes. Like, what does that mean? Like, the spread and the way they treated their employees was fantastic. So to hear that... They're coming back to partner with us. I think pushes our local is Superfly the promotion the company behind 
This one? Do we yeah, know? Yeah, I didn't yeah, know that they, they were signed involved. on it. They, they are. signed it. Okay. I saw on that it. That is cool. They're advising on it. At least that's what I read in the online. I, I'm in the same place as you all where I read about this online. But <laughs> I guess I had heard wind of it earlier in this idea that this isn't – we were talking about doing this in preparation, I think, for the change uh, of them going back to Utah. But you know what I think is really cool, and I actually, before this, to prepare for it, I called over to the Office of Economic uh, Development and – they said, you know, there's really still opportunity to be involved. So if you have great ideas, go online. You want to program a panel. Like there's conversations you want to see had. I brought up transit to Red Rocks, of course, because I'm not letting that go until it's done. It's been 10 years I've been working on that one. And, you know, this is a great example to talk about outdoor equity, about access, safety, all the other things to go along with it. I also like that you brought up the W-2 nature of working for a festival like this because there's the background economy of a festival, all the folks that are making it work. And um, you and I have been in that world for a long time, Ian, and it is, it's not necessarily an under the table thing, but it's often a thing that's just like not treated as a legitimate job, you know, to do the kind of work that makes a festival happen, whether that is like working on the grounds or the sound or running the artist tents or doing all these things that make th these things work. And that gives me hope too, because that's part of our economy here in Colorado. And that's part of our uh, economy when it comes to employing artists, because folks think about, artists and arts and the economy we're thinking of someone on the stage actually that also involves all the other people around cultural it. workers cultural workers exactly and so that gives me a little bit more hope for this i just i think i just have a little bit i, ha I have a little bit of ptsd from how many festivals we have had come and go and i hope that this one stays and makes an imprint in a way that's positively impactful for everybody involved um i i question though ian what do you think about the 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 other, the auxiliary parts of this, the outside festival part of it, the conversations, the panels, the the documentaries, is that going to be something that's as of interest to, to the audience as much as going to see Thundercat? Well, part of it, I think the extra music part is to draw in spectators to connect to those other issues. When the other conventions are here, that stuff is happening. The films are being watched. And also protest is happening. I can remember a few years ago, there was a the indigenous community led a walkout on the retailers over the the use of of branding of their of clothes and things hmm. without actually representing whose cultures those patterns come from or even paying and compensating them and we we did we marched out through uh, the center of all the displays and over to the capitol and it was a great rally and I think that 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 energy is exists for the people who are in the public policy side of supporting the economy and the small businesses. And often those people are the same thing. Like I've worked with people who were public lands advocates and now they own a company called Oso where they're like culturally appropriate dried meals. Like I can pop open and eat enchiladas on top of a 14er. That is them extending that cultural relevance. And so I hope that people will come in and tune in and watch the films. And uh, I, like I said, overall, I'm just really excited. I was happy to see this on here as a as a conversation starter because if we're talking about it now, it's going to be an awesome event. Time happens. What I will say though is, I am getting a little frustrated that Civic Center Park has become completely corporatized and doesn't feel as accessible as it used to. And I love the Civic Center Conservancy. I love Eric Lazari over there. I sat on the Young Professional Board. I used to play soccer there. I did cleanups on Wednesdays. As long as that fencing sets up around it, as long as it's privatized for week on end, it doesn't feel 
like the same park. as Civic Center felt before. Yeah. And so my goal, I guess, my hope would be that, yes, you have that music, but that the space is activated outside of the $29 fee. That's going to be really important. I feel you. I, th- I struggle with Civic Center being a privatized things sometimes like during parts of the year for these festivals because we have so many places that we can do music I don't I mean it's not that I don't love the city centric nature of it but how do we make it more accessible to more people and also keeping it as a public park um, that's and the Denver and neighborhood cooperation have been talking about that for years yeah. and I can remember not a new idea I know sure. and I can remember 10 years ago being like well I work in the festival industry and so like you know like it's great to see it but like you know, when I can't play soccer there for a month because the Chris Kringle market's there, that's tough because yeah. it is a park. Right. And it's a balance. And, you know, whether it's an Ask Washington Stock Show, we talked about a festival park. We're saturated with venues, they but they still want to build more. Right. <laughs> whether it's New Coliseum, you name it. Right. Hmm. I mean, is there a better place for a festival like this other than Civic Center? Should they have done this at Red Rocks? Should they have done this at Ruby Hill? Civic City Park? I mean, that's a great question, Paul. I, I got to say, centric, I've never enjoyed a music performance at Civic Center. I always find it kind of uncomfortable to stand around and the echoes all, all around with the big buildings. I don't well, know. I know the Denver Art Museum is going to be a part of this where they're showing the film. It provides the space. I'd say, like, I'm not I'm not going to judge too quick on whether it's the right or wrong place until after this year. But, you know, things need to grow and change. And if this is going to be here for 20 years, maybe it does go somewhere else. I don't know. Uh, one, one of the things I will say is, you know, what What I did read about when they decided to go back to Utah, minus the political part, is they talked about the ability to demo, um, like, say, water gear and mm. things like that. We don't have a lot of those options here in Denver, but maybe it gives us a reason to clean up our act and say Sloan's Lake. Because I used oh, to go yeah. and, and get pulled behind a boat there when I was a kid. Now it's five feet deep. So, And that's a side project with Green Latinos and, the, and the, com- the community there of, like, restoring that. But, like, to me, it's, like, how do we become more competitive for these industries is to, like, take advantage of these resources and to spur the Green New Deal locally in Denver. I like that thought. Yeah, Sloan's Lake. Um, all right. Well, uh, let's let's leave it there. I want to go out on a quote uh, from Robin Thurston, the founder and chief executive of Outdoors Interactive, which is the, the company behind Outside Magazine. Um, Robin says, uh, this is where the spirit of outdoor adventure meets the rhythm of art. <laughs> Forget it. Forget it. All right. It was that, so PR, you just couldn't even make it come out of your own mouth, Paul. <laughs> I just thought it was. I thought it was funny. This like combination of like art and urban life and outdoor J- adventure. Jargon, and, I don't know, jargon, whatever. jargon. Whatever. We'll see how it goes in June, and then we'll talk about it again, and, and maybe they'll do it again uh, next year. Um, but we're gonna take one more break, and we'll be back with uh, wins and fails. All right, we're back. It's the best way to end the week. It's time for Rocky Mountain Highs and Lows, a.k.a. Wins and Fails. We've each brought a recent local something uh, that we think is a win and another we think is a fail. We're going to talk about them. Um, As usual, we'll start with fails so we can end on the fun stuff. And Bree, I think you should start. Give us your fail. Um, Other than the season premiere of Vanderpump Rules being a real... Bummer. I'm so sorry to hear that. Thank you. Should we I, get into it? I appreciate it. No, I'm scanned of all. It's boring. It's over. Nobody cares anymore. Season 11, we can't do it. That's not really what I'm talking about. Um, okay. there, there was a story in Westward, um, drugs and crime in the 1400 block of Ogden Street hurting small businesses, quote, it's the worst it's ever been. I 
we talk a lot about narratives and framing and how we in the media portray information to uh, our audiences. And I struggled with this story because I don't disagree that folks running businesses around here are struggling. It was just like a lot of accounts of people like having to lock their doors because someone was being crazy and trying to get in. I under I understand that that is hard. And I, I don't know what it's like to run a business in the middle of Capitol Hill right off of Colfax. I imagine that it's a struggle. But how we talk about it and how we talk about the folks that are supposedly perpetrating these issues – it's I struggle here. This is like the do better Denver people posting these like, look at this person doing drugs. Like, I understand also that not everybody has sympathy for folks that do drugs. I get it. Um, I also look at every person doing drugs on the street and think they do not want to be there. That is not their ideal world. I am a person that struggled with this. I'm around people that have struggled with this. Nobody wants to be on the street smoking crack. So how do we have a better conversation about businesses and safety and community work and how how do we talk about this in a way that's not just de- consistently demonizing people that are in a deep struggle in front of everybody. And I just, I didn't appreciate it. Yeah, that was an interesting story, I thought. The, the, there was like videos of people outside <sighs> the Corner Beat and that yeah. yoga studio over there of like, you know, people on the street doing people on the street stuff. Um, this Do Better Denver group, we should talk about that. That's an interesting new group. Are you familiar with these people, Ian? <laughs> I have been paparazzied. You um, have? By them. Um, doing direct service work with Headwaters Protectors. Mm. I definitely have been targeted uh, by them during my campaign. And what I will say is I have communicated with them via direct messengers on IGs when they have posted inflammatory and false things. They have been responsive um, to removing those. But, uh, you know, I had uh, billboards targeting me during my campaign that I think were directed from this, like, same energy. And they're doing a really good job on social media because I have colleagues and friends um, resharing their things. And when I reach out to them and I'm like, hey, like, I've been targeted by them. They're like, oh, that sucks. I'll, I won't share it again. But, I like – they're, they're tapping into the frustration that I think is shared by many. Um, and there are a lot of different solutions to that. Tune back into the previous episode uh, that I did on here about running for mayor or any one of those debates where you can highlight the differences in people's beliefs about how to solve the problem. But trust me, there has been a lot more thought put into how to solve the problem that is not being put into just filming somebody and putting it online. That's what I struggle with too. Is what is your end game or what's your end goal here? Shaming people, Shame, I mean, what is, what does that really do? Taking a picture of someone you think is quote smoking crack, and what then? What now? What? Where do we go from there? Well, that's what I'm curious about with this group. Is I I don't understand what the mission is. I I, I think I see it as just the way you said it, Ian. Is it's kind of like a eruption of frustrations, and it doesn't really seem like it's guided or anything. And like I don't, it's not clear who's behind it or what. That involved. also will tell it's, you something is if you don't yeah. want to be in the front of your cause, you're hiding something. I don't I don't understand how people can get behind you. Because, yeah, it seems like it's just like crowdsourced videos, right? Mm-hmm. Like anyone could send them a video they take of like a, some, someone they see on the street. Yeah. Interesting thing that's happening. Um, Dude, maybe, maybe we can we'll all do a little bit them. better by not non-consensually filming and photographing people and then reporting on it. All right. Let's move on. I'll, I'll give my fail next. Uh, mine's a little lighter. Um my childhood nightmare, my worst nightmare <laughs> as, a, as a child, uh, became real this week. 
Uh, this is a story from the Denver Post about a Delta pilot at DIA who got uh, whose foot was swallowed whole by oh one of those God. moving walkways. Oh my God, Paul. You know those walkways? Yes. Do you have the same fear? A little bit. And Every I didn't read the story because I didn't want any more information on why I should not be on one of those things. But it's horrifying. Yikes. It's really, it's really, um, so there's scary. a video. I'll post a, we'll put a link in the show notes. No. This particular walkway was apparently missing a protective plate. So you, if, if you're seeing these things and then you see something that Did looks missing. Did he lose missing, his foot? I don't think he lost his foot. Oh, his, his foot, shoe, and sock were all severely damaged. Oh, he had to go no. see a specialist. He's claiming more than $75,000 in damages are the, oh. are the details. That sucks. Seems yeah. kind of low. You think? You think you could ask for more? Yeah. I mean, I not so much of like the ask for more part, but like when I hear that number, I think that seems reasonable for a doctor's bills and the other things associated with falling <laughs> yeah. in a hole. Well, you know what I mean? Like from yeah. a $2 million, $100 million, $75,000. Okay. Like I'm signing that check if I work for an insurance company. <laughs> Could be worse. That's a good point. Um, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry for that gentleman. Too. I know, I know. It's really scary. I know, it was just like, think, yeah. I mean, <sighs> I will continue to think about it every time I use one of those walkways. I will never get on an escalator ever again, as well. <laughs> um, Ian, give us give us your fail. Oof. I've okay. So I find them tied together. So the biggest fail I think right now, laying in front of us, is this broken immigration deal that has uh, totally fallen apart at the national level that has real life implications for people here in Denver. Through my advocacy with people unhoused, no matter their country of origin and the fact that my fiance is Venezuelan, we have been involved in this conversation. And I think that the amount of resources this is taking to solve may again bring us circling back to headwaters protectors and resiliency as a tool to deliver humanity to people at a lower cost. But I also wanna say that the same frustration, and I had a conversation with the mayor um, via text and via phone over the last few days, the frustration that he has with President Trump, I share. I also share my frustration that similarly so when our city council brought to forward a solution to protect people from the worst cold snaps and losing limbs and fingers, the mayor vetoed um, the, the bill that passed council to say we should not be destroying people's things and displacing them when it's freezing out. I agree. I stand with Councilwoman Parody and Chantel Lewis and the others, Jamie Torres. I know I can't name them all. Paul Cashman also. Yeah, and, and naming them all um, for doing what I think is the right thing. I testified years ago in the last council saying, where is your heart? I still believe that. So I think they're tied together as this crisis is worsening. When solutions are brought forward um, and they're not good enough, that's not the right kind of politics we need to like solve and protect people. So I, I am equally frustrated with Trump and I am disappointed in that veto. And I am still going to say that I am con I will confirm here that I will continue to work with the mayor on public health related issues, bringing the experience of headwaters protectors to solve these problems, but disappointed for sure. Um, that immigration bill that, so it really, it fell apart this week. I wasn't following that. I had Yesterday. just caught up on it. Yeah. So Yesterday. it's not going to happen. Hmm. We should check in with the mayor on that, like because he, he, yeah, put he, out, he just put out a, a video on Instagram this morning. Interesting, which okay. is why about I talked with him. Which is why I talked with him, and I share my incredible, righteous frustration that when solutions that are grounded in common sense and and agreement can't move forward over politics, that sucks. 
wonder what his next move is going to be now that that's falling apart. Because that was the thing that he was waiting for yeah. before those uh, legal challenges support. we talked about. Um, maybe we'll, we'll put a link to that uh, or some of that. Maybe we'll put a clip from that video here um, so you all can hear from, from him yourselves um, like I'd like to. That bill did not fail because they couldn't find a solution that would solve the problem. The bill failed because they did find a solution that would solve the problem. And that was the most threatening of all to Donald Trump. And he intervened with House Republican leadership to kill that bill just so this crisis would continue, just so he thinks he has a better chance of re-election. Imagine that, folks, an elected official who has taken the oath of office to protect and serve this country, who intentionally damages the country and hurts cities like ours for their own political gain. It'd be like George Bush after 9-11 saying, maybe I'll stand down security so we get one more terrorist attack that would then increase my chances of re-election. That kind of cynicism, that kind of mean-spirited intent to make Americans suffer and to make cities struggle should disqualify you from ever seeking office in this country or holding office in this country. If you want a government that serves our cities and our people, then we have to pay attention to folks that refuse to do that. And we have to remember when it comes time to vote. I know I will. I hope you do the same. Um, wins. Wins. Paul. Wins. You go. I have a, such a good win. You go, Paul. I have such a good win this week. I've been excited to talk about this. Um, uh, so the Super Bowl is on Sunday. Uh, the Broncos are not playing, obviously. Um, <laughs> I'm going to a party just because the food is going to be really good. Well, that's exciting. Thank that you. That is exciting. Thank you. Well, maybe you, I've got something maybe you could bring. Because um, okay. my win this week goes to Ed McCaffrey, <laughs> the um, the Super Bowl winning receiver for the Broncos. Oh, I know who, Ed McCaffrey. You, Ed, Ed He's McCaff the same size as me. Oh, yeah? He's six, six two, the whole thing. I He's loved him man. as a kid. He was like, I had his jersey. Hell yeah. You're a stand-in. <laughs> All right. Well, have you... Okay, so so here's why it's yeah, relevant. Yeah, why are we talking about Ed McCaffrey We're talking about Ed McCaffrey because his son, uh, Christian McCaffrey, is the star of the 49ers. Incredible. He's incredible. He's the best player. He's oh, going to be playing on Sunday. Right. Um, they also, the son of the coach, Mike Shanahan, who coached those Broncos Super Bowl teams in the 90s, his son is coaching the Niners. So if you're a Broncos fan, maybe that's your team this Sunday. Um, for me, uh, the fun thing here is that Ed McCaffrey's uh, mustard company, <laughs> Ed McCaffrey's Rocky Mountain Mustard. If I buy it. This, oh, yeah. It's my favorite mustard oh, yeah. in King Supers. It's really good mustard. <laughs> Product placement here. <laughs> he, he didn't pay for this. I would love this if he was a sponsor. This is not a sponsored episode. But I would Ed, chill Ed, Ed for this mustard, mustard all day, every day. It's the best mustard in King Supers, like I said. And um, so please. Is it, is it the official mustard of the Super Bowl? <laughs> no, it's only available in some parts of Colorado and Nebraska. Oh. Very, very small run. Um, and also, it's kind of fun to call Christian McCaffrey Mustard Boy when you cheer for him, like I will be The on Mustard Sunday. Prince? Yeah. The Prince of the Mustard, <laughs> mustard Empire, Prince. the McCaffrey Mustard Empire. Even better. Yeah, that's, that's my win. My win goes to Ed McCaffrey's Rocky Mountain Mustard and, and, uh, and Mustard Boy in the Super Bowl. Oh, my God. I like the tangential way you can enjoy the Super Bowl, even though the Through Broncos the aren't involved. Yeah. Great. That's Good how idea, I'm choosing Paul. to do it. Yeah. I like it. Um, Ian, how about you? What's your win? So, yeah, I, I, I want to talk about a wins for air quality just in our region. So as we heard about these settlements that are moving forward, we clearly have a broken s system where we could pass a law, they sue, they get half of it. But we are making progress, and so I want to acknowledge that to the people who have been doing this long before the 10 years I've been involved, the people who are involved now. There are countless groups and people and organizations, and the energy is going in the right direction, including the Environmental Protection Agency. 
who made two big announcements um, this week, one of which was they agreed with us on another rulemaking around air modeling for fracking wells in Greeley. That's the second time they've agreed with us in the last year. It's huge. And they also uh, announced nationally that they are lowering the health standard for what they call PM 2.5 or soot. That's actually the crux of the Clean Air Act lawsuit that I sued over the state of Colorado over I-70. And soot? so soot, very small particulate matter, PM 2.5, tiny, tiny, tiny. You breathe it in your lungs, it crosses into your blood, it can deposit in your brain, it does dangerous things. It's regulated like ozone, um, which most people hear about a lot, the National Ambient Air Quality Standards. Green Latinos nationally had been involved with this, um, fighting for the strongest rules. If we stay on track with the, the, the number that was released yesterday, we will be out of compliance in Denver um, and Weld County for PM2.5. All of this is connected to our addiction to fossil fuels. We have the solutions. And so I just want to be grateful to the regulators who are bending towards health when they haven't been historically. Great. Great win. So, is that, that's like fireplaces, right? That's what I know that word from. Like yeah. people who clean fireplaces. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a common word for small dust. Oh. And uh, <laughs> PM2.5 nice, is nice actually. ending to this But scientists measure it, right? Like you mm -hmm. got you to gotta measure things. It's like PM10 and like PM2.5. And I never knew about that word until I got involved fighting for to protect my community and self-defense. And now um, we have a tool, a new tool that shows us that our advocacy is is derived from actual science that this shit is not healthy for you, which we knew, but you know how it is. If you don't have your scientists, you can't hold it up in law. Mm. You need lawyers, you need scientists, you need advocates if you want to win anything. Mm. So you were saying we're on track to be out of compliance, like we're not out of compliance yet? Well, we're not out of compliance now, uh, but our measurements, if they stay on track to where they are, we will be, our region will be non-compliant with ozone and PM 2.5 both of which are directly connected to the burning of our fossil fuels. Okay. Okay. Interesting. Okay, cool. Interesting. That's a good win. I love that. I like I, I, any kind of, anytime there's optimism when it comes to the environment, that's always, that always feels good because the whole conversation is like normally so doom and bummer. gloom. What yeah. can we do? Yeah. Um, Brie, it's your turn. Yeah. Uh, so there was um, a piece in Denver right this week. Disability advocates want Denver to rename Civic Center Station after Gang of 19 activist Wade Blank. I was so excited to hear this. Um, for folks that don't know, the Gang of 19 was a group of disability activists, disabled people who used their bodies to stop buses at Colfax and Broadway uh, in an effort to show how inaccessible these things were that were supposed to serve everybody in the community. And this led to nationwide changes around transit for folks with disabilities. And um, this conversation is about Wade Blank, who um, he's like the most beautiful example of allyship to me. He's uh, he's a, He was an abled person that um, worked in nursing homes and started basically breaking folks out, taking them to concerts, asking them what they wanted to do, where they wanted to go. And um, he helped create Atlantis Communities, which is here in Denver, which was the first independent living facility in the country for folks with disabilities. And I think folks need to know prior to this, um, people with disabilities were often institutionalized or put in nursing homes, just sort of shut away. And Wade was like, why are we doing this? These are people with emotions and feelings and experiences, and they want to do everything else everybody else is doing. And he kind of like took his little hippie beat, you know, he took his bus and he brought people to Red Rocks in their wheelchairs. And I think honoring him would be such a wonderful thing for Denver because we do have, we have a plaque at 
Colfax and Broadway for the Gang of 19. And I think that there's some money and some work going into doing something a little bit bigger. But mm. I think we could go even bigger than that. And I love this idea of uh, of memorializing Wade's work through RTD because that's like the direct connection. And I yeah. just I, – I think about this every time I go through that intersection. And I want – I'm so proud of this to be something that Denver did. And I would love for us to just be even more on the map and more visible and um, more people know the story of Wade, but as well as Wade, uh, all of the folks that were in the Gang of 19. This, this needs to be part of the outdoor festival. Absolutely. Because accessibility accessib- is course. a huge part of festivals of as well and, and outdoor conversations. Mm-hmm. And and we can pride ourselves in Denver on being leaders in public policy about equity. And that's what sets us apart from other states. Absolutely. We were one of those epicenters and we continue to be, but um, – yeah, I think I just as a as a person that's an ally of the disability community, I learned a lot from reading Wade's story. And I just think he's an incredible person and if we could honor him and his work, I not, I don't see anything but greatness coming from that. So I was really excited about that. That's fantastic. But what I thought was interesting about that story was that RTD doesn't know how to change the name of their own station. Like <laughs> they don't have a set procedure for name naming a station. So like it's maybe curious, this is again like, a precedent setting yeah. thing where we figure it out through and then it's like the Wade Blank process or whatever. So Yeah. I loved I just I just love this story and it always gives me energy to to get recog- for Denver to continue to recognize our history that way. This one that feels like a slam dunk. Like, why not do why it? Why not? I can't think of any reason why not. It seems like a great person to name that station after. Yeah, we had rolled. Um, all right, so here we are at the end of the show. Um, Ian Thomas DeFoya, thank you so much for coming back on the show. This was, this was a blast. Thanks for coming and sharing. Yeah, I love being on here. Love talking with everybody. And if you want to get in touch with me, just give me a follow at Ian Thomas DeFoya, Ian with an E. Thanks, Ian. That's all for today here on CityCast Denver. Our producers this week were me, Paul Caroli, Natalie Rivera, Elizabeth Kama, and Olivia Jewell-Love. Peyton Garcia writes our morning newsletter, Hey Denver. Bree Davies is our host. Our music is by Los Mocochetes, with additional mixing by Tyler Lindgren. If you haven't already, subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on Instagram at CityCast Denver, and tell Thundercat about us next time you see him. You can sign up for that daily newsletter and learn more about us at denver.citycast.fm. See you next week. Because I thought Grand Doozy was great, too, but I heard what a struggle it was to get it, like, happening there in the first place. Yeah, I mean, David Moak was so burned out that he was like, I'm not doing a day of. And honestly, I did run a – the only time that we really got a lot was when they popped off fireworks for Kendall Kamar and didn't tell the neighborhood it was going to happen. Oh, and then they did sound check once early, but on Sunday morning they sound checked like seven in the morning with Stevie Wonder. Guess who complained when Stevie Wonder sound checks? Nobody. <laughs> <laughs>